Good to see everybody this morning. I love studying God's Word with this church. You are a blessed church by the Good Shepherd. And today we study Matthew 25, the final day of judgment. I will say studying this passage was a gift this last week, and one can only sit under it with a little fear of the Lord and actually find great hope in the midst. And so I eagerly anticipate the Lord meeting us this morning uh, as we study this passage together, starting in verse 31. So, like Ken had said, go ahead and open up your Bibles to that passage. What has been fun seeing the kids all out of school this last week, everyone excited, college students getting out of college, welcome back, Isaac, Uh, and being able to regather. I remember coming home from college loving the summers. Loving the summers, anticipating whatever was in front, but it was just the change-up that I loved. Uh, I went to Liberty University and studied physical education. So I have my Bachelor of Science in Education. And I have been perplexed by years upon years of people finding a way to make fun of my expertise in physical education. (laughs) Some have gone so far to say I studied gym class and dodgeball. That is so inappropriate, it is hard for me to really communicate all of my emotions. I I studied the education of the physical. And as you look at me, you now understand, oh... I get it. No, that was a joke. That was completely a joke. But one of the things when you study physical education is you study how to teach health class because most phys ed teachers will also teach health class. Any of you love health class? I saw no hands. Unbelievable. Health class was wonderful. Uh, Not as good as studying the Bible, but uh, health class was fun. And one of the things that, of course, if you remember back at health class, is your health teacher would often, well, give various scenarios as they would teach, and they would kind of give visual reminders of things, like how fat would affect your body. Do you remember in health class seeing the five-pound piece of lard? Anybody? Anybody? Right? It was like huge. Like, what? Right? And so you're teaching about fat, and you're teaching about lard. Like, wow, five pounds. Imagine 10 and 15. Oh, I can see how that affects my body. Right? Kind of getting that visual reality. Uh, I thought of it as of smoking. I remember as a teacher, you kind of had, you had a, a lung and you would show the inside of the lung, right, kind of the clean uh, pink tissue, and then you would show the lung what it looks like after smoke has been in there for years. You remember this? Kind of that visual reality. Uh, Even drinking, uh, it would talk about very sobering stories of realities that often would happen with drinking and driving. 
And, and some of these are scary when you think about them, though the intention uh, is to help students visualize reality so that it may help inform their decisions in life. And there is something that's just helpful about that. This morning, as we come to Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching us in such a way so that we visualize reality. The intention that Jesus has is for us to see it in such a way that would affect the decisions and choices we make today. We have been studying Matthew 24 and 25 for quite a while, and these passages, Jesus has been leading up to this very point. He has been leading up to the reality that Jesus' coming, His second coming, is going to happen. It is going to happen. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is going to happen. And He has been helping His people understand the importance of being prepared. The importance of being prepared because when Jesus comes, it will come very suddenly. And so the way we live, the way we serve, matters. And the way we anticipate matters. And we now come to verse 31, where he describes what will happen on that last day. When Jesus does come, because he is, what will happen? Some people call this the parable of the sheep and goats. But hear me, church. This is not a parable. This is not a parable. This is reality. Now, the only parabolic aspect to this passage is the fact that he uses two animals to illustrate something. Okay, he's going to use a sheep and a goat to illustrate there are two people in life. But what we see here as we read this passage together is reality. And his intention is for us to visualize it. And if you are taking notes, this is what I believe the main point of this passage pointing to us to understand, to see, to capture in our hearts. And it is that eternal Life is given to those so transformed by the gospel, they sacrificially serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now that one's wordy. I want to read that again, because this is what we are going to unpack as we read and study this passage. Eternal life is given to those so transformed by the gospel they sacrificially serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. As we unpack this, we're really going to look at four points together. One, we are going to look at eternal life. We're going to look at sacrificial serving, gospel transformation, and the terrifying reality of eternal punishment. 
As you know, there can only be so much we study together this next 35 minutes. But I will pray that the Holy Spirit does the work that only He can do in our lives. As we see what will happen on this judgment day. So let us read Matthew 25, 31 through 46 together. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or even thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or even a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in a prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Visualize reality, church, as we read this passage. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. Imagine this day. Imagine this day. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. Now, when we think of Jesus, we typically think of Him in His human nature. As a man, right? We've been studying Matthew. When you see pictures of Jesus, you see Him in His earthly ministry, You see the pictures of Him. Uh, We think of Jesus as a man, right? Because He did. He came in human form. 
But that is not Jesus in his glory. That's not Jesus in his glory. If you remember Philippians 2 7, when it says, Jesus came to the earth, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You ever think about what he actually emptied himself of? One of the things that he emptied himself of was his glory. If you imagine, if he was full of glory as a baby, nobody could look upon him. If he were to come and have an earthly ministry, well, nobody could be around him. That would be awkward. He had to empty himself of his glory when he came. And we know this because, I love this verse, in John 17, we hear what Jesus is so excited and he's praying for. And Jesus, on 17, he says, before the cross... As he's praying to his Father, he says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So before the cross, he is looking and anticipating for him to receive the glory that he had had for all eternity. It's coming back as Jesus is ascended into heaven. So as we read this verse, we read, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, we have to imagine what this would be. Jesus in His full glory, His full light, coming back with all of the angels. Revelation 5 says all the angels are numbered 10,000 by 10,000. This is 100 million angels. On this day, Jesus coming back with all of His glory with a hundred million angels. Imagine it for a moment. It, it, it's hard. No movies get like hell. It just, we have to imagine. What will this be? On a day that we did not anticipate. We're just working a, on a normal day. We're doing school. We're sleeping. I don't know, whatever we're doing on a normal day. And this day happens. Jesus comes back in His full glory with a hundred million angels to judge all the people. And this, as we read, we see He gives eternal life to some. Verse 32 says, Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. So when Jesus comes back with His full glory, with the hundred million angels, what's the first thing He does? Well, He doesn't ask you how you did. He doesn't ask you to give an account yet. He says... I'm going to separate the nations. I'm going to separate those to the left who are going to be the goats, those to the right who are going to be the sheep. And he uses this illustration because, again, Jesus' desire here is that you this morning and every person that ever reads this passage visualizes reality. So he uses an example, an illustration of something that is very common, and that is shepherds 
having goats and sheep in a field together, well, shepherds will often separate the goats and the sheep. Now, the reason, well, is there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is, well, they're different animals, <laughs> right? You got goats, you got sheep, they're different animals. One is the sheep are a little bit calm by nature. The goats are a bit more rambunctious by nature. Uh, they eat differently. You'll find goats just eating trees, right? Uh, sheep, they graze. They're different animals, right? They, they function differently. They escape the uh, pen differently. So shepherds, they separate the goats and the sheep on purpose. And so Jesus is telling this example so that we can mentally have this picture of a shepherd coming and taking one by one the goats over to the goat's field, the sheep over to the sheep field. And so here on that last day, the great shepherd will come in his full glory and will separate people. And he separates the righteous from the unrighteous. Verse 34, Oh, how we will all desire to hear these words. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And at the end of this passage that we read in verse 46, it says, of those righteous, they will enter eternal life. Do you look forward to that day? Do you look forward to that day of eternal life? If you are, if you are on the right and you are a sheep that he says, Oh, come, do you look forward to that day of eternity? And I am convinced the more we know Jesus, the more we look forward to that day. And this is why I'm convinced of this. It's because that's the heart of Jesus. In John 17, when he was praying, he prayed, Jesus prayed this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me to see my glory that you have given me before the foundation of the world. Jesus longs for this day. Do you see that? Jesus longs for this day that, the, that we, that his people, the sheep, will be with him and that they will see his glory. So with Jesus longing for this day, we know the more that we know Jesus, we will long for that day as well. Church, eternity is not an extension of this world. Eternity is an extension of the perfect world that we will be given. 
the perfect world, the perfect relationships, the perfect fellowship, the perfect joy, the perfect satisfaction, no tears, no pain, no mourning, no death, no darkness. The world is lit by the glory of Jesus. We should anticipate this day because Jesus looks forward to it. So imagine this day of final judgment when He ushers in His sheep to the kingdom of God, eternal life. May that that give you an excitement. But as you think of eternal life, as you think of there is a final destination, I do think that we have to ask this question of, well, like, what, what's Jesus going to assess? What's He going to assess on that day? He comes back. Well, eternal life is given to those so transformed by the Gospel, they sacrificially serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. So our second point we want to look at here is we want to see in this passage, sacrificially serving your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We see in verse 35 to 40 that Jesus lays out the evidence that proves they are sheep. He lays out the evidence that proves they are sheep, and the evidence is their sacrificial serving of Christians. That is the evidence that Jesus lays out. He says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. You visited me when I was sick in prison. And then in verse 40, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, to some of you, what I just said might sound interesting. Potentially, you haven't captured the point of this passage before because a lot of mercy ministries will use this passage as a passage to promote feeding the poor in the world. Meeting the needy in the world. Compassion ministries here locally to be involved with the homeless, to serve those in need, because in doing so, you are serving Jesus Himself. And while 100% that is a good thing to do, Jesus promotes it. We see that we are to be the Father to the fatherless. We see that we are to take up just cause for the poor, for the needy. All of that is right, This passage, the day of final judgment, does not talk globally. It talks about serving His disciples. His disciples. And we see that in this passage. When we look at verse 40, you see it says, As you did all of that 
You did it to the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, of whom are my brothers? Of whom are my brothers? You did it to me. You recall Matthew 12, when Jesus was asked, who's your mother and brother? Remember what he did? He pointed to the disciples. He said, that's my brother, my sister, and my mother. His disciples were his brothers. And as we look at this passage, we say, oh, wow, on that day of final judgment when he comes and he says, the sheep to the right, you will inherit the kingdom of God. He points out evidences of grace at work in their life. And the evidences of grace he pointed out was the way they served his disciples. And when he says, when you served them, you did it to me, do you see how closely Jesus, how closely Jesus identifies himself with his disciples? What other passage does that bring back to your memory? Remember when Jesus came to Paul on the road to Damascus? And he came and Paul was at this time crucify or I'm sorry, persecuting Christians. And he comes back to Paul and he says, Paul, why do you persecute me? Jesus so identifies with his disciples that when his disciples are cared for and are loved, it is loving Jesus. I read this, and I just see the great love of Jesus in this. I see the great love of Jesus for his people. Because his people are the extension of his love. Just ponder on this for a moment. Just ponder on this reality for a moment. When you reach out and serve one another in this church, you are serving Jesus. You are serving Jesus when you reach out and serve one another. And this makes sense. John 13 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's too often I feel that Christians can sometimes feel and think that they have to go out to the mission fields to be making an impact for Jesus. You need to do something somewhat disruptive in your life to really, to really be serving Jesus. Or you think that you need sort of an emotional high, something that you just feel so connected to really feel like you are serving Jesus. But here, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to see this in this passage because true faith in Jesus unequivocally results in sacrificially loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So don't underestimate your serving of one another. Don't underestimate your serving of one another. When you bring a meal to the one in need, when you sit down to give parenting counsel, when you pray for the needs of one another, when one is hurting and you need to cut their grass, when you give financially to serve those brothers and sisters in need, when you visit those who are sick, when you welcome a fellow believer that's a guest in this church, you are serving Jesus. That is no small thing. And on that great day, by His grace, He will say, when I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Don't underestimate your love for one another. Because do you also kind of notice in this passage that their love for one another was not flashy? What did they say when Jesus said, you did this unto me? They were like, what? When did I, when did I see you? When did I see you hungry, Jesus? What? When did I? When did I see you thirsty? When did I do this? When did I do these things for you? And I think that just shows a beautiful picture of Christians. When they serve one another, it's not the big flashy stuff all the time. Sometimes we don't even realize we did it. It's because it's who we are as believers. In this day of final judgment, He is going to usher in to eternal life the sheep And we know the sheep are the sheep, well, because one of the evidences is their love and sacrificial love for their brothers and sisters. Eternal life is given to those so transformed by the gospel, they sacrificially serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. So, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, right? Follow. You guys are doing good. Follow. I didn't say eternal life is given to those that sacrificially serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. What I said was eternal life is given to those so transformed by the gospel that they sacrificially serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is that terminology important? Well, if we think about it, this very question does beg this question, and if eternity is influenced by the sacrificial serving of others... How do you get better at that? If eternal life is on the line, how do you get better at sacrificially serving so that Jesus will say that about you on that last day? Well, here is the answer. It starts by being a sheep. That's how it starts. All right, how many of you know who Keith Green is? All right, we see a couple of hands. All right, all right. Dan, you just seem to be a guy who rocks out to Keith Green. I just, I just think of that. Um, so Keith Green, old-time guy, uh, sang a lot of really great songs. He, he sang a song about this passage. 
And the song on this passage was about the parable of the sheep and goats. And pretty much, I'd say like 95% of the song totally just went right with this passage. It's saying, it's saying, I mean, almost word for word, uh, what was happening on this day. But then Keith Green ends it, the song, by saying this. He says, the only difference between the sheep and goats, according to this scripture, is what they did and didn't do. You think that's right? You think the only difference between the sheep and goats is what they did and didn't do? I'll say an obvious statement. I think one of the main things is they're different animals. <laughs> right? You got a sheep and you got a goat. One of the main differences is they're different beings. They have different DNA. They do different stuff. They're different animals. And that is important, actually, for us, even tongue-in-cheek, to think about, because when you think about this, is a sheep a sheep because it has wool? Or does a sheep have wool because it is a sheep? Which one? Is a sheep a sheep because it has wool? The answer is no. A sheep has wool because it is a sheep. And so as you think about that, and as we come to our scripture and we see disciples, it is the same for the disciples of Jesus, those whom he calls brothers. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a disciple not because you sacrificially love others. You sacrificially love others because you are a disciple of Jesus. Amen? So here is the dilemma. Every person born is born a goat. We got a dilemma. I love going to magic shows. I really do. I love it. I love it. We went to one, I don't know, a month ago, and it was so much fun. I just get into it. And I'm pretty sure if somebody turned a goat into a sheep in front of me, I would just be amazed, right? It, like, no way, because it's actually not possible, all right? You can't take an animal and completely change it to another animal. So do you agree if, if all are born to be a goat, the fact that there are a sheep at all required a miracle? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And that is why we say we must be transformed by grace. Because the very miracle that Jesus accomplished was when one was saved. When one became known of their need for Jesus and accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, Jesus made you into a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. And that's why when we read in John and we read all throughout Scripture, we see this verbiage of being a Christian is a new birth. We are born again because it is in that moment we that Jesus, the great... Well, I shouldn't say the great musician. Uh, magician. Because he's not a magician. He does, he, he does truth because of His great grace and love. 
He took a goat and He created a sheep because He gave them a new life, a new being. And I just wrote down, I just wrote down all these truths in Romans that we've all heard, but I just put it into this paragraph because this is what happens when we know Christ as our Savior. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus, that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And when you have been saved, you are justified through faith. There is no more condemnation, neither death, nor angels, nor demons, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, listen, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you know you're not going to be separated from the Lord God on that final day? It's your faith in Jesus Christ. Because in your faith in Jesus Christ, you are transformed. You are made new. You are a sheep. You are no longer a goat. And now you have the ability to sacrificially love those brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we think of this, it, it helps our, as we read this passage, it helps our mind to visualize the reality to trust Christ. And this is just how you are going to sacrificially love. 1 John 3.16 Jesus Christ laid down His life for you. And you ought to lay down your lives for your brothers and sisters. If you have material possessions and see a brother or sister in need, but have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The charge from this passage is not, church, go serve fellow Christians. The the charge here is, go love Jesus, bask in His glory, and allow Him to do what only He does to give you a love for His people. A love for His disciples. A love that's so big and grand, it's as if it is you serving Jesus Himself. Because guess what? When you love one another, it is. It's evidence of God's grace at work in you, and it's no small thing. It's no small thing, church, because it has eternal significance. I do think it, it, it requires us to pause because we also may never underestimate the consequences if we're a goat. If we are not one who seeks to love and serve others. If we are not one with a heart to love Jesus, this passage should make you concerned. Because our last point is apart from Jesus, your reality is eternal punishment. 
completely flipped the script of everything that we've just talked about. Everything we've talked about. Because this is the truth, that eternal punishment is given to those not transformed by the gospel, shown by their lack of serving Christians around them. The most terrifying words in Scripture is verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Go away into eternal punishment. Church, they called him Lord. When he said, hey, you didn't feed me, you didn't give me drink, you didn't visit me when I was sick. They said, but Lord, when did we ever see? They weren't shocked that he was real. They were aware, but they were surprised that they were judged based on the way they lived. They lived a selfish life, consumed with their own needs and not others. Because they needed to be a sheep. And the evidence was that they did not seek to love others or Jesus. And the destiny that they have in this passage is hell. A place, do you see it here? Do you see it? A place, verse 41, a place created for the devil and fallen angels. Hell was created for the devil. It was not created for the goats. It was created for the devil. And when man sinned, that then became the place that we as well would go to apart from Christ. And in that place of hell, it is a weeping and gnashing of teeth. For eternity, those will rub shoulders with pure evil, the devil, for eternity. Unquenchable agony, total separation from the love of the Father. Never-ending suffering for eternity. I, that's not easy to think about. And honestly, a lot of people try to make it sound a lot better because it's hard to think about. Theologians have written, people have thought that, oh, no, it doesn't seem to be consistent with God. And when you die, you just cease to exist. Well, that's just a lie. That's all it is. It's not true. You know how I know it's not true? It's because it's not what Jesus says. And so here we have to see eternal life. I'm sorry, that, that the goats will only experience eternal punishment. So church, as you read this passage, I pray it is illuminated. And as we ask this question of what do you do with this passage? What do you do with this passage? The final day of judgment. Well, the reality is, He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And the question is, are you ready? 
Are you ready? Eternal life or eternal punishment? You will be in one of the two. Are you ready when he separates those to the left and to the right? Yes, his delay, his delay does feel long, but when he comes back, he will come back suddenly. His judgment will be irreversible. So be prepared by trusting in Jesus with persevering faith. Persevering faith that bears fruit. So one, trust Jesus. We're going to have communion here in a minute. And if you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you hold those elements and place your trust in Jesus Christ this morning? Your life, your eternity truly depends on it. And you cannot become a sheep if you are a goat. It is impossible. You can't do it to yourself. You need God to give you a new creation, a new heart, a new life, and that is what He does. And church... Christians, when you trust God with persevering faith, you bear fruit. You bear fruit. So as you sacrificially serve one another in this church, may you see the importance that this church is to you. This is your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's not the job of the greeting team to welcome those guests who are believers. It's the believer's job. It's not the deacon of the benevolence to give financially to those in need. It's the job of the believer. It's not the deacon of the sick to go visit the sick. It is the job of the believer, the disciple of Jesus. It is not the job of the care group leader to give meals to those who are in need. It is the job of the believer because church, as you do what might seem so small, it is serving Jesus Christ Himself. And let me ask you, is He worth it? Yes, He is. So look around and see who's to your left and your right. And are you aware of what's going on in people's lives? Because I think one of the facets to this that, that challenges us to faithfulness is we're too busy. We don't even know what's going on in each other's lives. And we are to know because it is serving in the small ways that we are able to serve Jesus. So I just want to end 1 John 3.16 again. Jesus Christ laid down His life for you. And you ought to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. If you have material possessions and see a brother or sister in need, but have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. How can the love of God be in you? So here's the charge. Love your God. Love your God. And may He May He produce in you what only He can produce, and that is love for others.